Well, with Christmas fast approaching, it's also almost a new year. There's just a few days left in the year 2019, and with the the new year coming, many uh, well-meaning, good-intentioned people will be doing something that I know some of you refuse to do, but others of you uh, do this time of year, that is, make New Year's resolutions. Uh, Some of you are determined that in 2020 you're going to save more and spend less. Some of you are determined that you're going to quit some bad habits and start some good ones, some new good ones in place of them. Others of you are resolving that you're going to spend more time with your family and your loved ones, or maybe learn a new skill or take up a hobby. Uh, Many uh, are going to commit themselves to making changes in their diet and perhaps get themselves in better physical fitness in 2020 than what they are or have been in 2019. And if you're making any such resolutions such as that, please understand, I heartily encourage you. I, from the depths of my, the bottom of my feet, I say go for it and make those steps in your life uh, because I think it's great. But a word of caution for you. According to one article that I read this week, of all the people who make New Year's resolutions, only 8% of those people actually keep them. 25% make it through the first 30 days of the new year. But then by the time we get to this time next year, only 8% of those who are resolution makers turn out to be resolution keepers. I don't want to discourage you at all, just to point that out, that a little better than 1 in 10 people who commit themselves to a particular path in the new year get off that path, actually fairly quickly and quite regularly. And that's, that's, the, part, that's the hard part, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to, to start something, to get going on something, but isn't it true that the hardest thing is to keep going at it? We can start a new pattern and try to begin a new habit and and, uh, pave a new course and and maybe we get going and early on we feel good about it and we're excited about it and we're proud of ourselves, but it doesn't seem like it takes any time at all before we become discouraged and we realize that we haven't kept up with what we committed ourselves to. I mean, that can be frustrating, right, when we can't in our physical lives do the things that we so wanted to do and we're so sure we were going to do it and then we get discouraged or way leads on the way and we find that we haven't well it it can we can be frustrating in our physical lives but it's also a reality we have to deal with in our spiritual lives too isn't it we can make resolutions regarding our physical life but many of you have made a resolution in terms of your spiritual life to follow jesus you made a resolution to honor God with your life. You made a resolution to, to honor Him. And it wasn't just a New Year's resolution. It was a lifelong resolution, a commitment that you made that you're going to live for Him. And there's times that we feel motivated and energized to walk with God. But there's other times and seasons when we, we don't feel like it, like we used to. And we, we're not sure that we can. We're not sure maybe that we want to. You were living for God and then you got discouraged. There was frustrations came your way. Things got difficult. You were committed to following Jesus, but opposition came your way. Setbacks happened and you started to waver. Maybe you went through some painful experience or faced persecution or you've been enduring a long stretch of family pain or relational heartache. Believers maybe, other Christians have perhaps let you down or you've got prayers that you've been praying 
that haven't been answered yet and you find yourself discouraged. You find it hard to keep going. The Bible tells us with regards to our Christian lives to run the race that's set before us with endurance. But there's some of us that wonder even today at Christmas time, how exactly do we endure? How do you how do you keep going? What do you do when you find yourself in that situation? I mean, I mean, where do you turn to find the strength to keep going? Is there encouragement that we can lay hold of to help us keep running, to keep walking, to keep pressing on? Well, I'm glad to be able to tell you today that the answer to that question is yes. There is encouragement. And where it comes from is from God and His Word. And I have for you a passage today that I think is given to do especially that. It's a text of scripture that was originally written to give some faithful people hope ahead of a very difficult time that they were about to go through. It was given to to help them to hold on to God and to, to keep trusting Him. For them and generations of faithful people who followed them, It would be really a a passage that would remind them about the promises of God and the hope that they can have in Him. And for you and me, I think it's a passage that is given to help us keep on believing, to keep on trusting, to keep on obeying and the hope of God's promises. And and this this passage I want to share with you today is also a Christmas passage. And it comes to us actually hundreds of years, written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, but predicts the birth of Jesus. The passage is in the book of Micah chapter 5 verses 1 to 5 and i'd like you to turn there with me if you would micah chapter 5 verses 1 to 5 and uh if you need a a bible if you don't have one with you just reach out in front of you there should be one in the back of the pew in front of you it's page 778 the book of micah chapter 5 beginning at verse 1 and this is the third message in our little christmas series called the promise of christmas and what we've been doing in our teaching series is we've been looking at the promise of christmas haven't we before Christmas ever happened. We've been looking at, uh, before today, we've looked at two passages of Scripture, both of them from the book of Isaiah, who was a prophet who prophesied about the birth of Jesus. Now, Isaiah lived at the same time as Micah. Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries. And both of them had, they had their own ministries, but they were similar in lots of ways, including they both uh, uh, conveyed God's promise of a coming Savior, Jesus. They both predicted and prophesied the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, in our passage today, we're going to hear Micah's prophecy about the birth of Jesus. Now, here, here's the deal. Again, Micah was about 700 years. He worked about 700 years before, or he preached 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And um, uh, basically, here's his deal. He's like, he stands up before the people of Judah this is God's people. Remember, Israel was one nation, but stuff happened and they ended up in two nations. Like northern, the northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. They're all God's people. And Micah stands up in front of the people of Judah and basically he says this, I've got bad news and I've got good news. I got good news and I got bad news. Which do you want first? Never mind, God's told me. I'm going to give them both to you. And he glazes out for them. Well, he had some really, really bad news for them. And the bad news was that because of their sin and their indifference to God and their wanton disobedience and because of how they behaved wickedly toward one another, because of the injustice and idolatry that were rampant in the land, God was going to decimate His own people. Merry Christmas. 
God is, go- God is going to judge you. You say, well, why would God be like that? Well, God told them that. In fact, they knew from the law that if they disobeyed the Lord, they could expect God's discipline. And God had been patient and he sent prophets to warn them, but the people were hardened. In fact, we read oftentimes in the Bible, the prophets are horribly treated because they brought the truth. They spoke the truth. God had blessed his people so wonderfully. Judah had prospered and and they had experienced victories and they experienced a wonderful time of peace. They had become actually quite affluent in general. But instead of rejoicing in God, they turned away from God and they behaved cruelly toward one another, especially the poor. And after resisting and rejecting and ignoring God's warnings, God said, the time is coming. And that was Micah's job. Wouldn't you love Micah's job, right? God is going to judge you. He's going to decimate us. We're going to be obliterated. Wow. Isn't he holly jolly? And you know what? A hundred years from the time that Micah preached those messages, a great empire named Babylon came and decimated Judah. The people were exiled. You say, well, that's some pretty bad news. (laughs) You said he had good news? Yeah, he had good news. Well, you might wonder, like, what possible good news would there be after you're all going to be decimated? Well, the good news was this. The good news was for the faithful in Judah. The faithful few, the remnant we might call them. The good news for them was, a, was good news of hope. That even though God would judge his people and do so severely, that would not be the end of their story. He would not leave them like that. In fact, he would save. There is hard times coming, but in time, salvation would follow. And that salvation would come with the birth of a child in Bethlehem. We know it as the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. 700 years later, a child would be born. And he would be the one who would be the great eternal ruler. And he would usher in peace and victory for all of God's people who are faithful to him. That's Micah's, that's basically Micah's message. And I want you to see as we read these few verses, see if you can pick up on this message as we read it, okay? See if you can see what I've just said reflected in these words. Micah 5 and verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. In other words, hard times are coming, right? Assyria would harass Judah for a period of time. And then after Assyria had had their day, Babylon would come and it would be terrible. But, verse 2, notice that word, but. Here's where it all changes. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Try and say that three times fast, Ephrathah. It's just an old name for Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me. One who is to be ruler in Israel. Whose coming forth is from of old. From ancient days. Who's that talking about church? Let's talk about Jesus. The the birth of Jesus. He's like, oh you, oh Bethlehem Ephrathah. If this was here, it might be like, oh you, Mississauga Arendelle, or you, Mississauga, Streetsville, or something like that, right? We know we're talking about this place, this region. For you, Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was just, it wasn't much really anything. I mean, it had a great place in Scripture. But in terms of being uh, places to be and to visit, it was just a small town. It was really nothing. It was oftentimes was overlooked, wasn't even mentioned in terms of places to be in, in the nation. Um, and, and they, but from there, from this little town is going to come a ruler. And that's going to be Jesus. 
and it came from from of old he says and whose coming forth is from of old sort of reminds us of the story before all this happened long before this happened of david david being anointed as king remember david david was he had some older brothers and when the prophet came to anoint the new great king of israel he went through all the brothers and the, the, one, the, the king to be chosen was not found. They didn't even think to invite David to the, to the meeting. Well, do you have any other children? His father was asked. Oh, yeah, just, but he's out tending the flocks. Bring him here at once. And here comes little David, this young boy, and he's the one. And so it reminds us of the story of this little town of Bethlehem and how David was, was chosen as king. And then reminds us too later, God promised that in David's line, from his lineage would come a ruler who would reign and rule forever. And that's who? That's, that's Jesus. And so he's reminding the people of this. Imagine being a faithful person. You got really bad news. God is going to judge us. But the faithful few are reminded of the goodness and promises of God. Notice verse 3 what he says. Therefore... He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Who, who is it? Who's the she, it turns out? Who's the she? Mary. That's right, Mary. You know so much more than Micah and these people did. Micah would buy you coffee and sit with you and say, Tell me about this she that I was prophesying about. What's this name? This woman, Mary, who was a young woman, and he, he'd be fascinated. I gotta go, I got Christmas. No, you don't. Sit here. Tell me more. You know so much. It's amazing. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers, as Jesus, shall return to the people of Israel. It seems to be prophesying here a great turning, a great future turning of people who once had ignored God that will in the future trust in God and trust in Jesus and go his way. Notice what it says about Jesus, verse 4. And he shall stand the shepherd uh, and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall, notice, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is looking forward to the, 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 this future reign of Jesus when he will be glorified. He will return and he will reign and rule over God's eternal kingdom. There will be a new earth and you and I will inherit this new earth and we'll live in this new earth with King Jesus. That is, of course, if we love Him, if we trust Him. Then He says, verse 5, and He, that's Jesus, and He shall be their peace. Our peace as people is not, is not better things to come. Our peace is a person. The presence of Jesus. Well, this is, this is just an amazing passage. There's so much here. I could preach all afternoon, but I'm not going to. Because I know eventually you'd all be like, okay, Ross, you're done. Okay, you're done. Remember one time I was preaching sometime when I was a lot younger, and now don't get any ideas. And an old guy at the back <laughs> pointed at his watch. Now, some of you are just like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. You sometimes don't know when to stop, brother. Listen, don't, 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 don't get any ideas. Really today, I've got three, three things that I want to tell you about this passage. Before I tell you those three things, I want to show you something. Now, don't, don't laugh at my artwork, okay? You promise? You promise? No, you don't promise. Okay, show them the next slide here. Now, there we go. There you go. She's <laughs> pretty good. She's trying. She's trying over here to not laugh, but it's just, I drew this myself. 
And I drew this to try to help you get a sense here of what we're seeing in these five verses. There's four things in particular that are going to happen. And Micah, in one, right, in just five verses, tells us about them all. And I've, and I've likened it, and others have, this, this isn't original to me, this, this concept, this picture. Uh, that isn't original, but the idea isn't. Um, it's like we're looking at a mountain range and we see four mountain peaks, four things that are going to happen. Well, you say, well, what is going to happen? Well, there's judgment to come. God's people are going to be judged. Then there's a birth that's going to happen in Bethlehem. That's Jesus. That's the first Christmas. And then there's this returning or there's this turning of the people. And then ultimately in the end, there is this eternal, secure, peaceful reign and rule of the Messiah of Jesus. What We see that they happen in succession, but there's no sense of timing here. Now, just show them the next slide here. So you've got four mountain peaks. Now, here is just another angle of it. So in the first sense, I, Micah says, so here's what's going to happen. But we might wonder, like, when is this going to happen? And, and is this, is this, are these things going to happen in rapid succession? Is it all at once? Well, when is this going to happen? Well, you can see here in this next drawing are four mountain peaks. There's gaps in between them. And I've just put in their time here. That's what that scribble says at the bottom. There's time. There's time in between. So, for example, from the first, the first mountain peak there, it's a, a prophecy of judgment. And Judah would be taken over by Babylon, and the people would be exiled. And then there would be hundreds of years, and then 700 years later there would be a birth. That birth of Jesus. And he came into the world, although he came and set up a kind of kingdom, the nature of the kingdom that we read about here is still to come. You see, because there's another gap of time in which people will turn to him, in which, in which, uh, which Micah prophesies. And then in the end of time, there's going to be his great eternal kingdom. We call it heaven. When he will reign and rule, we will be with him forever. This is, the, this is what's going on here. Micah gives sort of just one this great prophecy of four things to come. But you can see that in history, under the providence of God, there's been gaps of time between each one. Now, let me just point this out to you. The first two mountain peaks are already history. It's already happened. Within a hundred years, the first thing happened. The people were exiled. 700 years later, the second thing was happened. The child was born in Bethlehem. That was Jesus. And now we're, we're somewhere between hill two and three, or maybe we're on hill three where there's a turning uh, to, to Jesus, especially amongst Israel. And then, in the end, there's the return of Jesus, and that's yet to come. You say, Ross, how much time is between here and there? I don't know. But I do know, as sure as the first two have happened, the, the last two are going to happen. And that's, that's the, the wonderful thing about reading about biblical prophecies. You get to see things, especially Old Testament prophecy, you see things that have already transpired. So this is, I want you to see this this morning. What we're talking about is not wishful thinking. Like we kind of hope this will all work out. No, two of these things have already actually happened long ago. So it gives me hope to think that the rest of it's going to happen too. In fact, what I'll suggest to you today is the rest of it is happening. This future kingdom rule of Jesus is already, in a sense, happening in you who follow him. 
He's your king and you are part of the kingdom of God. And the full reality of that you'll one day experience in heaven. But you are seeing the early beginnings of it now as you trust in Jesus, as you obey Jesus, as you love Jesus, as you live for him. He's your shepherd. You're part of his kingdom and you're beginning to experience these things already. Loved ones, see this prophecy and recognize it's not a story that's out there. It's a story that's in here. And you are part of it. You are in this picture. I know you can't see yourself, and it's best I don't draw you. You'd be disappointed. But you're in this. This is God's story, and you, in Jesus, are part of it. So when you celebrate Christmas, you're celebrating, yes, the story of Jesus, yes, the story of God's grace, but you're also celebrating a story that He has put you into by His grace. I just think that's amazing. That wasn't even part of my message to you. I had three things I wanted to tell you. I'm going to tell them to you now. But do you see what I'm saying? This is not something out there. I'm talking about you, loved ones. You and your story and your God. Okay. I said there's three things. I got two lessons and a challenge. So that, that's three, right? Two lessons and a challenge. When I consider this, I think the first lesson that's important to note is that life in this fallen world is marked by troubles Micah's message is I got bad news for you trouble is coming big time how big really big like you're not going to like it Jesus said in this world you will have fun trouble I wish he said fun some days some days are fun but if you notice even the fun days are still marked with trouble in this world you will have trouble jesus said life in this world is marked by troubles now i suggest to you there's 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 more but there's at least three sources of that trouble first of all troubles come to us because of the fall we live in a world that is cursed it's fallen it's broken and because it's fallen and broken and cursed there's frustrations you got some frustrations in your life there's disappointments any disappointments from 2019 Failures, setbacks. You had any setbacks this past year? Maybe at work or at home, in your health? Many of you have, and, and I'm thinking of things that aren't particularly anybody's fault, per se. It's just things that have happened, and you say, why has this happened? What? Well, there can be lots of answers to that question, but one real answer is that we live in a world that's broken, and it's cursed. Wonderfully, God is going to make all things new but we live in a world that's cursed so sometimes you know we, we live life in this world is marked by troubles troubles because of the fall sometimes troubles because of fallen people these are the, the people all around you it's 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 the people people who harass you people who humiliate you people who cut you off this morning on your way to church they you know you you wanted to reach into their car and grab them by the ear and say use your signal light right but your arms weren't long enough and besides, it's not very sanctified, and so you didn't. You just laid on the horn instead. <laughs> we live in a world full of fallen people, people who discourage us, people who embarrass us. Is there anything more emotive in you than the response you have than when somebody embarrasses you or puts you to shame? People who cause you heartache, people who make you angry. You say, why is that? Why is this happening? Well, there's lots of answers to that, but one legitimate answer is that we live in a world with fallen people. 
you had anybody in your life cause you trouble lately? It's no surprise we live in a world full of fallen peoples. We should expect problems. Life in this world is marked by troubles. Troubles because of the fall. Troubles because of fallen people. Troubles because we are fallen too. And, um, well, which of these troubles, let me ask you, which of these troubles is Micah addressing in his book? The third one, right? Trouble was going to come because of the people. God was going to judge the people because of their sin. And it's, it's that terrible, agonizing place that you sometimes find yourself in when you realize, I'm in a huge mess and I made it all by myself. Right? Those things you said, it's like the toothpaste out of the tube. You said it and then it's like, oh, I can't get it back in. It's been said. That text message that you sent and then you realize I should not have sent that. There's no taking it back. They're reading it and it's doing what you for a moment intended it to do. Many of us here know the pain and really the regret that comes from saying things we wish we never said, doing things we wish we never did, dating people we should never have dated, thinking things we know we shouldn't have thought. The worst of the worst, I would say that my biggest regrets in my life are things about which I can say I knew better. I knew better. It wasn't like I didn't know. It wasn't that I realized this wasn't, I shouldn't be doing this. I did know. God had made it clear and I disobeyed. Now here's, loved ones, here's where we've got to watch it. Because, well, one, we need to get honest about this, that I am fallen too. But we've got to watch out because here is where the devil comes along and he says, you see, you see, you see all of your, I know all of your, all your dirty laundry. I know what you said. I know what you've done. And I know all the things, all those nice people at church, they don't know about you either, but hey, if we ever had a moment, we could just have a little tell-all. Oh, the things they'd think about you. See if they shake your hand next Sunday. What if, what if anybody knew about who I really am? The devil gets playing with you in your mind and he says, you know, you, you'll never change. You'll never change. You're, you're, you're like the person who's going to buy the membership at the gym. They're done when the free trial's over. You're going to be done too. You're not going to change. God will never accept you now what he does is what he says and some people listen to that but if you listen to Micah even the people who only had themselves to blame they too were given a promise of redemption a hope for a future God had good news for them yes it's true we've gotten ourselves into trouble with sin and disobedience and indifference to God yes it's serious yes we cannot go back and make it unhappen but that does not mean there is not hope. Because as true as it is that we live in a life, uh, live in a world that's full of troubles, we also believe in a God who has a plan to deal with our troubles. And that's the second lesson I want you to see. God has a plan to deal with our troubles. Did you notice that in verse two? Verse one, bad news is coming. Verse two, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth to me one who will be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth as of old from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is, given, who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return. See, there's hope. 
to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of his Lord, of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Do you see that the weight of this? It's like it starts out with the bad news that we, we've got a problem, but then the weight of it, the scales tip in the favor of God's grace. Because there's a God who has a plan, a plan that, that involves this wonderful story of Jesus. A, a plan to, to deal with our fallenness, my fallenness and yours. It's a plan that He's promised. We see the promise here. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, God had a plan and He had a promise. He promised that this Jesus would come. And for us now, we're 2,000 years after that promise. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was part of God's plan to save us. Jesus came into the world he lived a sinless life that you and I could never live. He died on the cross to make a payment for your sin and for mine. So even though we're guilty before God and worthy of the death the Bible says that our sin is worthy of, Jesus took it for us. And he arose from the dead. And now anyone who trusts in him, their sins are forgiven and the righteousness that Jesus lived out is applied to us. It's called salvation. It's called the gospel. It's, it's a plan that the Lord promised, and it's a promise that he's keeping. We see him keeping this promise. Jesus actually came. This is his story. This is your story. Look back in history, loved ones, and see it unfolding. God has a plan to deal with our troubles. It's wonderful good news because we're not stuck We've got ourselves in the mess and there's no way out, but God has the rescue. Remember when I was a little kid going to visit my grandparents one time, I got in the elevator and the door closed. And my biggest fear became reality. See, I had seen earlier some show on TV where a bunch of people got in the elevator and got stuck. I remember watching the show and thinking, that would be awful. Can you imagine stuck in an elevator and you get... It's, you, you can't get out. You can't pry the door open. You can't get, you'd be stuck in there. And I remember thinking, I was just a little guy. I was just like, that would, be, that would be like the worst possible thing that could happen to me. Well, it wasn't long after that. My grandparents' place, it happened to me. And all of a sudden, don't you have that experience of just panic? It just sort of rises up and you sort of lose your mind and you start, I just started doing the most rational thing that I could think to do. I screamed at the top of my lungs, Nana! She was a long way from me, and her hearing aids sometimes worked. And I was in there crying out, Nana! Who's going to... Who, there's nothing I can do! All of a sudden, after what seemed like an eternity, like it felt like I'd had birthdays in there, all of a sudden, the elevator started to move. I cried tears of joy. And the door opened and there was these concerned seniors looking at this little boy coming out. And as soon as I stepped out the door, I realized what happened. I forgot to push the button. <laughs> now it's a bad illustration because there's a way I could have fixed the problem. But your situation and mine, there are no buttons to push. There's no buttons to push. So what do you do? Don't cry for grandma. Cry for the one that grandma told me to cry to, to the Lord. Lord, save me. And you know what? Wonderfully, God has a plan. He has a plan to deal with your troubles. And he's 
He has promised that plan. And we see now, we're celebrating Christmas, he has, he has, he has kept that promise. It's, a, it's a, a plan that he promised, and it's a promise that he's keeping. God has a plan to deal with our troubles. That's the second lesson. So we, we live in this, this world that's full of troubles, and we're a big part of those troubles. God has a plan to deal with our troubles. So, loved ones, my challenge is this. Trust the Lord and don't lose heart. Trust Him and don't lose heart. In other words, count on Him. Look to Him and don't give up. Never give up. Wasn't it Churchill? Churchill said, never, never, never give up. Well, I don't smoke cigars and drink scotch. But I've got not just a rally cry to let's not give up, but I've got a basis for it in Jesus. Trust the Lord and don't lose heart. The Scripture says, weeping may endure for the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. So trust the Lord and don't lose heart. Your troubles are temporary. Micah told the people, because of your own doing, you got trouble coming. But trouble will only last for a season. And then there will be joy. Then there will be restoration. Then there will be glory. So, so trust the Lord. Some of you today have come into church and you need encouragement. You've been crying out quietly, How long, O oh Lord? How long? I think a biblical answer is not long now. Not long now. When you are in heaven, when you are basking in the glory of Jesus forever, you will know what Paul meant when he said, this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Your troubles are temporary. And I want you to know, loved one, if you're trusting in Jesus today, if you're trusting in Him, if you love Him, you today are one step closer to the fullness of Micah's prophecy about dwelling secure with Him and knowing and experiencing forever that He is your peace. Your troubles are temporary. Your future is bright. Your future, if you're a Christian, listen to me, listen. Your future could not be brighter. You're going to be with Jesus and no one and nothing can change that. He says, no one can pluck you out of my hand. That's security. He himself is your peace. That's peace. He reconciles us to God. He brings us to God. And we have that hope of that great and glorious future. The challenge, loved ones, is this, is to fix your eyes on him. What happens to us is we get in the midst of troubles, and what do, what do we start looking at? All our troubles. Right? And, and you know you're fixated on the troubles when you overhear yourself talking incessantly about your troubles. Or when you are aware that as smiley and as Merry Christmassy you are on the outside, Merry Christmas! On the inside, you are torn up about your troubles. I do not make light of it, loved ones. Please understand me. I'm not making light of it. I'm not minimizing the pain that some of you are experiencing and the, the worry and the uncertainty. I do not minimize that for a moment. But the challenge, though, is for us to fix our eyes not on our problems and our pain, but on the person of Jesus Christ. 
in the promises that we see here. It's sort of like this. Probably most of you didn't know this, but in my previous life, I was an avid kayaker. So somebody laughed over here. That, that's hilarious, right? First, you're laughing at my artwork, and you're laughing at my, my recreation interests. Anyway, well, Merry Christmas to you too. So anyway, I used to be, it's all right, I used to be an avid kayaker. And uh, I don't, like, I've covered a lot of water in a kayak. And um, one key thing about being, a, if you want to be a, a, an adequate kayaker, one of, one of the hardest things you've got to learn early on is how to go straight. Any of you have tried it, you know, it's like you turn one way and you're, the boat swings, and then you turn the other way and it swings the other way, and you do that about ten times, you're just like, I ain't going back to swim. But the, one of the keys is, well, practice and patience, you've got to work at it, but one key thing is, is keeping your eyes straight ahead and your head focused and still on where you're going. So when you're paddling the boat, you, you are, you're using your torso, your upper body, and, well, your hands have to be even on the paddle, okay? If they're not even, you're going to go in circles. But if your hands are even on the paddle, as you're paddling, you're looking straight ahead. So my head is generally still. I mean, I'm totally still, but I'm looking straight ahead to where I'm going. What happens is people start paddling, and they start looking like this, and they get to look like this, and you're going to go all over the water. You have to fix, listen, you have to fix your focus on where it is you're going. You have to, it matters where you fix your focus. And that's especially true for a believer. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. You've got to look to Him. The reality is, is that sometimes it looks like all this talk about heaven and resurrection and Jesus and God seems sometimes in the face of our problems to be quite disconnected. We can sometimes feel like feel like that we're just making ourselves trying to believe in something that we hope is true as pressures mount as problems keep coming our own hearts start to waver and we become discouraged and doubtful and despair let this text be for you what i believe it's intended to be a beacon of light for you to keep your eyes fixed on jesus and on him and on his promise the emphasis of our text is indeed that hope that you've got a bright future in front of you. And when you read about this Jesus, I love that last line, and he shall be their peace. It reminds me that I've got peace with him. I remember, and I'll close with this, I remember uh, I was just thinking of her this morning. Uh, many of you remember a number of years ago a lady named Donna Schlemkovich. And Donna came to us, uh, she came to Christ actually through the Carlson family. She lived in an apartment up in Streetsville, and she got a diagnosis of cancer that was terminal. And she was deeply troubled in her soul about where she was going when she died. And she was sharing this, with, she was talking about this with somebody in the apartment building, and um, if I remember right, somebody in the apartment building said, well, I don't know much about that, but there's these people that live across the street over there. They're, they're Christians, they could probably talk to you about that kind of thing. Now, just to pause, I don't want to embarrass the, the, um, the Carlsons, but, uh, but I just want to say, don't, don't you want to be the person on your street that when somebody's in crisis, people say, I have no idea. But those folks over there, they, they know stuff about that. Don't you want to be that person? Well, Donna walks across the street, knocks on, or sees, I think Ruthie was on the front veranda or whatever, and she said, I need to speak to your parents. Bruce came to the door, and Donna said to him, I need some spiritual guidance.
And so with her invitation, they went over across the street to her apartment, they sat down, they opened up their Bibles, and they told them about Jesus. And they told them about God's plan of salvation, his, his plan to resolve our troubles. And Donna gave her life to Jesus, bowed and asked Jesus to come into her life and be her Savior. You can do that too. You say, I, I, need that, I need that kind of guidance. I need that hope in my life. You just do what Donna did. She bowed her head and she asked Jesus to come in and to save her. Donna was baptized. She got baptized soon after because she knew she wouldn't have strength to do it for much longer. And I remember one night we were driving home after a church meeting and we were driving home. There she is, just, just a couple months away from her death. And she turned to me and she said, you know what, Ross? I have such a tremendous peace. I said, really? She said, yeah. And then she paused for a minute and she said, and how could I not when I've got Jesus with me? That's what I want for you. Forget you. That's what I want for me. To have the, the peace of Jesus in my life. Loved ones, we've got that. God gave grace to Donna to see this hope, this bright future that Jesus has secured for her, the, great, the glory of his presence in her life. Will you look to him and trust him and keep going in him, seeking him for the grace to do that for you too? Maybe as we close, we'll just bow and we'll pray together and we'll commit to this, Lord. As we pray, the choir, you can come on up. I'll get out of your way. And just as we pray, I want to ask you the question. Will you, will you afresh ask the Lord today to help you to fix your focus on Him? There are so many things that vie for our attention, especially our troubles. I know those troubles are serious. I know those troubles are heavy. I know those troubles are painful. But loved ones, the challenge of our text today is to trust in the Lord and to not lose heart. How do I keep going another day? Look to the Lord, trust in Him, and don't lose heart. Let's pray together. Let's talk to the Lord about this.